You are listening to episode 41 of Fearless Rebel Radio, and yay! One of my favorite people is back on the show today. I'm going to be chatting with Isabel Fox and Duke, and we chat all about how diet culture perpetuates the diet binge cycle, how to overcome shame around weight, and what normal eating really is, plus so much more. Before we get started, Isabel has her amazing free video training series, Stop Fighting Food, launching today. And you can sign up by going to summerinandin.com forward slash stop fighting food. So head to summerinandin.com forward slash stop fighting food to find the sign up to get Isabel's amazing, amazing videos. If you are still struggling with the diet binge cycle or emotional eating, any of that stuff, this woman is amazing and her free videos are going to really help you. As always, you can get my free guide and the 10-day body confidence makeover, as well as join my free online community by heading to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies. Hey, I finally put it in like a really easy spot for you to access. Yay me. Or just go to thebodyimagecoach.com and you'll find everything there. All right, let's get started with this show. Do you know where you are? You're in Fearless Rebel Radio, baby! I am your host, Summer Inanin, a certified nutritional practitioner, diet rebel, and food lover on a mission to help you feel hot damn fearless in your body. Fearless Rebel Radio is here to empower you to defy the standards and break the rules in order to radiate confidence, relish in your uniqueness, and live life fearlessly on your own terms. Every episode, I will help you to do this by sharing practical advice, not-so-PG-rated rants, and interviews with fearless rebel guests. Welcome to the show. Hey, everyone. I am really excited for today's returning guest. You may know her and remember her. Today on the show, I have Isabel Fox and Duke. Isabel is a certified health coach and emotional eating expert. She helps women make peace with their bodies so they can stop obsessing about food and get back to living awesome lives. Her areas of expertise include binge eating, emotional eating, and chronic unsuccessful dieting. After years of trying to overcome emotional eating through traditional and alternative approaches, Isabel discovered some radical new ways to get women over their food issues once and for all. Isabel has been featured in the Huffington Post, Elle Magazine, Exo Jane, and has been praised by Ricky Lake. She is changing the way women think about food and their bodies from the ground up, not just by shifting the mindsets of individuals, but by creating a greater cultural revolution. Her writing and free guide, How to Not Eat Cake Really Fast, Standing Up When Nobody's Looking, can be found at isabelfoxandduke.com. I am really excited to have you back on the show today. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. We always cook up the best conversations. I, <laughs> I know. I've been told that uh, we make a good team in that regard. So <laughs> for the women listening and men, hopefully there's some men too, uh, if you uh, didn't hear our first episode together, which we recorded about a year ago, you can go to summerinandin.com forward slash FRR 10 or just look up episode 10. Uh, I believe it's called Stop Fighting Food interview with Isabel Fox and Duke on iTunes, but you should listen to it if you haven't listened to that one as well. Uh, Yeah, it's probably one of the most popular episodes that I have of this podcast. So um, pumped to start the discussion with you again. Before we begin, can you remind our listeners of your story and how you got to where you are today? Hmm. So I always tell people this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but (laughs) my story could be long or short depending on how much time you have, but um, I will kind of just give the cliff notes to the best of my ability. So um, I always start by telling my story when I was telling my story that I I was put on my first diet when I was three, three years old by my pediatrician at the time who told my mother, you know, apparently that I was high on the baby BMI scale, which literally just means like if you take every baby in the world, 
like I was in like the higher, like higher average range for my height than other babies, um, which of course does not necessarily mean anything about my health per se, but you know, the doctor sort of said to my mom, like, you better watch it. Like she might be a fat baby slash is a fat baby. Um, and so that, you know, I have no recollection. I have no memories of not being on a diet literally since the age of three. I mean, I don't know memories previous to being three years old. So that means officially like when I was going through the trans, when I was transitioning into intuitive eating and transitioning into a life that didn't involve dieting, I had literally no frame of reference at all because I had been diet binge cycling since my earliest memories, mm-hmm. um, uh, which I think is, is, you know, valuable because I know that some, some women have memories of having eaten normally at one point and then sort of progressively becoming more and more involved with diets and progressively attempting weight loss to, you know, at greater and greater levels and sort of, um, you know, sort of the diet binge yo-yoing cycle, getting more and more advanced as time went on. It certainly got more and more advanced as time went on for me, but, um, you know, some women have a frame of reference of like, oh yeah, I used to be a normal eater when I was a kid and then something happened. Um, I don't even have that frame of reference and I think there are other women out there who experience, you know, who have diet or came from diet or family or, or households or whatever, have that sort of similar experience of like, I can't even remember. I can't, I have no idea what that even means. Um, and so, yeah, so, you know, just basically diet and cycling my entire life, um, got just really bad, I would say into sort of more progressively like kind of disordered patterns when I was, you know, as early as fifth grade. Um, it's again, that's sort of like a weird thing for me to even say, cause it's sort of hard to even know when things, um, get become sort of so out of control, like what is normal and what is abnormal is a very hard thing to define when you live in a culture that normalizes dieting, normalizes body manipulation and actually calls it healthful. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so basically, but this was my life, you know, this diet and cycling was my life, um, involving, the, you know, various degrees of what would be considered um, healthful or unhealthful dieting, in quotes, depending on which doctor you talk to, right? Like, if you talk to Dr. Oz, he's going to have a different definition of healthful dieting than the next guy. Um, and... This was, you know, it was all just very confusing. I just desperately wanted to be thin. You know, I just desperately wanted to be thin. I was just constantly trying to lose weight, constantly, constantly hating my body, hating my body. And, you know, it really wasn't about health for me. Um, And I think that that's also like an important, relevant note. You know, when I was really being honest with myself, it was never really about health. It was about avoiding social prejudice. It was about... um, getting loved, you know, like I think about myself when I was in middle school or high school and I think about a girl who thought like, if I just lost 10 pounds, if I just lost whatever X amount of weight, which changed depending on my size at the time, if I just lost this weight, I would be the most popular girl in school. I would get the boyfriend. I would, you know, everyone would love me. I would have, um, you know, some sort of level of social power, which for me being the age I was just happened to revolve more around things like, um, you know, boys and crushes and, uh, you know, being the most popular girl in my middle school or high school. Um, but I think for adults, it's actually not all that different. You know, it still seems to be about, um, gaining social power in some extent or fear of losing social power, right? Like I hear a lot of, you know, on the flip side, things like I'm afraid my husband won't be attracted to me anymore. Oh, yes. If I gained weight, right? Or, you know, things of that nature. Really, generally speaking, at its core, our obsession with weight is about managing social prejudice or gaining social status to some extent. Um, So... Yeah. So that was, you know, really when I was, again, was really being honest with myself, it was not about health. I, you know, I hear a lot of my clients come and they're like, oh, well, like I don't eat that because I think it's unhealthy. And I'm like, okay, like, let's just cut the bullshit. Like, are you not eating that because you think it's unhealthy or are you not eating that because you're afraid it's going to make you look a certain way, which will have an impact on your social life in some capacity or will have an impact on how people view you or et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think making that distinction in our minds is actually really important. Like 
really being honest with ourselves about what's going on is and what our motivations are for wanting to lose weight is like the only way that we're going to be able to honestly address those those urges, right? Um, and in, in that way, I think that this sort of um, kind of rationalization, uh, the sort of the, the idea that weight loss is the politically correct way to talk about weight loss also always seems to have to do with this word health. And I think a lot of ways that's like slapping this um, this guise over what for most women is generally more motivated by um, managing prejudice. So yeah. yeah, so so you know, I'm kind of going on all these tangents right now, but I'll kind of wrap up and just say, you know, when I was, you know, at a certain age, basically, I kind of fell to my knees, desperate, you know, just couldn't figure out why I couldn't control my food. You know, the the diet, the diets and binges were getting so out of control. And what was crazy is that I wasn't necessarily, you know, at a certain point, I was in therapy and I was, um, and I kind of was taught that the the quote unquote extreme diets were causing my binging. And so I wasn't even necessarily doing extreme diets anymore. You know, I was, I was managing my food in a way that I thought was healthful, but I was still trying to control. I was still trying to manage and it was still very motivated by my weight, even though it wasn't, you know, what a doctor would necessarily call a dangerous diet or an unhealthy, you know, a, 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 you know, extreme diet of any kind. Like for the most part, I was attempting to eat quote unquote normally. I was attempting to eat quote unquote healthfully, but I would still find myself in these crazy, like literal, like heroin addict alley level binge eating episodes. Um, because I like the second I deemed myself to be out of my the second I deemed myself to have to have lost control around food or to have like eaten something emotionally or judged my food in some capacity it was like I was off to the races like I just couldn't I couldn't stop like the the um you know, I would, I would find myself like in bed for three days, like unable to, to move, you know, begin just like going back and forth to the kitchen, like drinking water. Cause I was like so dehydrated from being so full, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So, you know, at some point sort of this like moment of desperation came, um, and I, you know, just kind of like fell to my knees, so to speak, um, uh, not to get sort of spiritualistic on you. And I just kind of like, I just, I just surrendered, you know, like I just kind of said, like, I realize that I can't control my food. It's not about relinquishing control. It's not about giving up control. It's about realizing that I don't have it to begin with and really like learning to be okay with that and learning to let my food be what it's going to be rather than constantly trying to make it different than what it is. And when I was able to make sort of that mental shift through that mental shift, I think the vast majority of my healing happened, you know, like when I really stopped trying to control my food and really let my food be what it is without trying to manage it, without trying to go over, you know, trying to like make sure I don't go overboard and, you know, without trying to control that sort of sense of tension that was constantly in my body from trying to do my food right all the time. When I let that go, I felt like, something happened, something happened to me. And I, I, it just, it might, you know, my food just kind of like fell to be what it is. Like that was sort of the moment where like in my mind, to some extent when that change happened, which was not just a one moment it happened, it happened gradually over time. I certainly forgot this and had to remember it over time. But every time I remembered to let go, every time I remembered to surrender in that moment, I seemed to have peace with food. Um, so yeah, so that's that's what I teach, you know, to some extent. And again, like I said, it, it's it's a it was in the beginning a practice of remembering that and experiencing that and learning how to do that over time and and gaining evidence of why that perspective makes most sense for me. And that involved a lot of body image work, as I think we talked about quite a bit on our last podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sort of, and that's sort of um, the, the the fundamental basics of my work at this point. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You said so much good stuff there. And, uh, thanks for sharing that story again. I, 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 I don't know if you mentioned that about being on your first diet at three years old last time. I'm sure you did. And I just don't remember, but it is so interesting how you say that because yeah, you had no frame of reference for normal eating Mm -hmm. and it is then incredible that you were able to find normal eating later on, you know, through, through your own, uh, discoveries and the process of, of surrendering. Um, I'd love to, to, you know, I'm going to dig into like all the different bits and pieces that you just sort of, um, pulled out there, but let's talk about diet culture a bit to start because, uh, you know, I think that, you know, you're talking about diets and and their relationship with uh, social power and, but I, I think a lot of women who, still don't realize that you know they don't realize that food and weight is really an issue of morality in our culture and that that's the problem and that that's what really starts women on this like diet binge cycle so Mm -hmm. do you want to just talk a little bit about diet culture and you know that's influence on on the diet binge cycle and body image and everything that we do as coaches with our clients (laughs) Well, I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, I think that one of the most important things to remember about diet culture is that I always try to say, you know, say to people early on when they're really struggling, the first thing we usually think to ourselves is what the hell is wrong with me? Mm -hmm. Like, what is wrong with me that I can't get my food under control? What the hell is wrong with me that I'm struggling with this problem? You know, this is such a, because of diet culture um, and because of so much morality, as you said, around food, this seems to be like a really shameful issue for people. Um, And the reality of the situation is that diet culture is such that the vast majority of women are experiencing this to different degrees, right? Not everyone is, as I called it, like the heroin addict level binge eater who can't get out of bed like I was. Mm-hmm. But to some extent, most women and a lot of men, increasingly a lot of men, are dealing with this diet binge cycling to some extent. Like I think most people who have even been on like a handful of diets in their life, you know, most most women certainly I would say, if you're like conscious of your weight on a regular basis and like actively trying to manage your weight in some sort of way, you are probably diet binge cycling in some sense of that word. Um, it, again, it might not be super extreme, like, it, you know, different people experience it in different ways. Um, and I think that it is progressive. It gets more and more extreme for women as they continue down that path and as the dieting becomes more extreme, et cetera, et cetera. And as the body hating becomes more extreme, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the most important things to remember about diet culture is like, we don't realize that binge eating and this whole sort of like diet binge cycling situation is something that's not just affecting a small number of people. It's affecting a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, like, you know, to what, you know, how many of those people are actually getting to the point where they're like fed up, can't deal with it, saying no, you know, putting their foot down, saying, I'm not going to do this anymore, or even reaching out for help to stop if they feel like they can't stop on their own. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, the, it's so important to understand because, you know, there's, it it's creates the shame around weight, right? Like, and, and, or the fear of shame around weight that it really keeps us trapped. And, you know, for women who are just experiencing that deep level of shame about their body or fear of shame, you know, like how, how, how can they work towards overcoming that? That's a big question. <laughs> that is a huge question. Um, so how can women work towards overcoming shame around their bodies? So, I mean, there's greater sort of bigger kind of life coachy answers to that question, which I'm, I actually think you'll probably be talking with people about in, in my class that I'm running, which we'll talk about soon. Um, I don't know if you <laughs> want to mention that now. You just kind of brought it up and I thought that would be... That sort of came up to mind, but um, from a from a practical or from a social standpoint, there are like a few like very specific things that people can do. Like, mm-hmm. so for example, diet culture is called cult. You know, it's it's cultural, right? Like this idea that like women are supposed to look a certain way, and men are also you know increasingly so supposed to look a certain way. Um, is very much um, it's embedded in our media, for instance. And when we think about overcoming shame, a lot of there is something to be said for the idea that it's very hard to overcome shame like when you when we are like as just like human animals dealing with the fact that like we are different in some capacity or we are like not okay or we are othered 
than what we see as the acceptable body shape, right? So one thing that I think, even though realistically, realistically, like no one, very few people look like models in the media, right? I mean, or actresses or whatever, very, very, very few people. But somehow, because we're just saturated with these images, I think with the internet, especially, we're saturated with these images all day long. We internalize that that is sort of the acceptable body type. And like, we look different than that. And therefore, we are somehow othered. Um, so I think something that's really important for us to do is to actually look for role models of women who I tell my clients, like our size, your size are bigger. Right. Look for role models of people who, you know, actually expose yourself to visual images of body diversity. Mm -hmm. um, this I was reading in a, there was an academic research study that came out about this recently um, that basically said the only proven way to change, like scientifically proven, mean, like, meaning they've done research studies about it. The only scientifically proven way to change a woman's body image is through visually exposing her to body diversity, meaning like actually have her sit down and look at images on a regular basis of different body types and non-traditional body types, which I thought was fascinating. And I do this with my clients all the time. Like I basically put all of my clients on like a strict social media diet mm -hmm. um, where <laughs> we unfollow <laughs> anyone who is, um, you know, sort of triggering them into, you know, making them feel badly about themselves for any reason. And that that's self-diagnosed, right? Like they're that's self uh, defined, I would say, not diagnosed, self-defined. Um, but um, the other thing is adding in. Like it's not just about taking out. I think a lot of people talk about taking out images that make you feel badly about yourself. Not as many people are talking about adding in. And I think adding in is actually the thing we really need to be focusing on. Adding in body diversity, adding in images of women who are our size or bigger, people that we can sort of see as role models of women who have non-traditional body types or really body types like ours, right? So each individual might have different people that they sort of look up to, so to speak, um, who are like living fabulous lives and doing all these things that we so often think are not possible for us because of our weight, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's, that's, a, that's sort of got to be the caveat to the, so, you know, I think, again, a lot of people talk about the social media diet taking out um, sort of thin inspiration or like people who just for whatever reason make you feel like shit about yourself. But we, we've got to also be adding in. If you're not adding in, you're not actually really changing the pro problem because the reality of the situation is that you can't avoid most media. Like there's only so much media that you can take out. Like you're still going to see the billboard with the beach body you know, diet pills when you're driving down the, the boulevard, you know, like you can't avoid all media. So to combat that, we need to also be adding in, we need to be put it actively putting in body positive images, like into our brain on a regular basis. And, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I was gonna say, yeah, we want people to buy out of diet culture, but you have to buy into a new culture, right? Like, it's, yes. it's yeah, you're buying into a new way of thinking. And I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. It's like, it's exactly what I do with my clients, too. It's like, here, you know, go find, like, I have a list of tons of people, but it's like, go and follow these people and see and expose yourself. And, um, like recently I went swimming and I was in the change room of, a uh, of the, the swimming pool. And like, I went when there was like an older crowd and the women were just walking around, like everything hanging out, super <laughs> comfortable in their own skin. Cause they were probably in like, you know, maybe 55 plus crowd. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, you know, like this is a good environment to hang out in and just observe, yeah. you know, and just like what, yeah. you know, because I observe things like that in a non-creepy way but yeah um, you know like get yourself out of of the bubble of what two percent of the population looks like and buy into you know a different a different uh, way that we can shape the culture totally totally and that does take time like a lot of people when they first start looking at you know body positive images or images of fat women I don't know if we talked about this last time on the podcast but I use the word fat very explicitly yeah um, I was can... yeah let's I was actually I, I made a note about chatting with you about that so we can dive into that but finish your thought first well I was just gonna say like you know a lot of women when I first sort of you know tell them I'm like well why don't you start looking at images of women who are your size or bigger online the immediate reaction is like oh my god it's gross oh my god it's gross right because they're struggling with so much sort of internalized what I what I and a lot of people in the industry call fat phobia, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh my God, ew, gross, fat, bleh, bleh, you know? 
And so um, we actually have to face that in ourselves, right? Like I think that that's actually the process of changing our own body image often starts with combating and challenging and facing like our own weight discrimination, our own weight discriminating tendencies, our own prejudice around fat, not only in ourselves, but in other people. Um, and that's, that's like a pretty big deal. I think that most people, before they can find themselves beautiful, they have to be able to find people of similar body types to theirs beautiful. Uh, Yeah. And how, I mean, how do you challenge that weight discrimination? Because like, I notice that too. And I notice it, um, you know, I find some women like adapt to it really easily. They go in and they look at, you know, images of plus size models or whatever. And they're like, yeah, these women are beautiful. You know, they, they totally get it. And, you know, intellectually they're buying into it. And then over time, you know, their perception of, of, of themselves and of bodies changes. Uh But for, for the women who are just, yeah, like, I mean, it really invokes this feeling of discomfort in them because of their own, you know, the the stigma around weight that they've bought into over time. Like, how mm-hmm. do you, you know, how do, how do they overcome that discrimination? Well, so first of all, I would say that anyone who has food issues is dealing with weight discrimination, even if they like say like, I only judge myself. I don't judge other people. Like, mm. I'm just going to call bullshit on that right now. <laughs> like, you absolutely are judging other people. I mean, like, and it might be like a subtle way, you know, like, oh, she looks so beautiful. But if I said, do you want to trade bodies with her? They'd be like, no, you know, like, so, you know, it just, it's, I'm going to go ahead and say that anyone who has food issues basically um, is probably dealing with weight discrimination towards other people, whether they consciously acknowledge it um, or not. And that's just number one thing to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Number two is, you know, it absolutely does, you know, it does take time, right? And I think um, the difference between the woman who's like, oh, yeah, I can totally, like, I'm willing to look at these images of other women, that woman does change faster just by virtue of the fact that she's willing to do the work. She's willing to look at the images because what we know, like, I'm going to reference this research study again that just came out, just looking at the images, whether or not you fight the beliefs consciously in your head or not, just looking at the images actually does change your brain. It's crazy. It's like weird science. I don't know. I don't even understand it. Um, I mean, I do in the sense that like, you know, it's, we're, we're doing the opposite of what we've been doing our whole lives. But ultimately, just looking at these images to some extent does change us. So the women who they may still be dealing with weight discrimination, but ultimately, like if, it do, if they don't have a fearful reaction, the reason they usually have faster results is because they don't they do the work. Basically, mm-hmm. the women who have fearful reactions to looking at a, like a, a picture on Instagram of a plus size model twice her size. Right. Women who have fearful reactions when they look at that. The, they, they don't want to do the work, so they don't do it. So they're much less likely to get the results, right? Because they just don't even want to do the work because the work makes them uncomfortable. But then the question really just becomes, why does the work make you uncomfortable? Like, why does it make you uncomfortable to look at like a woman who is not you in a body that is whatever it is? Um, and often I would say that that really boils down to what I call resistances to body image work, which or objections to body image work, which is the number one reason why people don't body image doesn't change. I actually think your body image changes pretty fast once you make the decision that you want it and you want to do the work and you actually really effing want to like your body exactly as it is and you're not you're not trying to change it anymore. Like when you make the decision, like I really want to like my body. I don't necessarily feel comfortable in it right now, but that's what I want. I'm changing the goal from I have to lose whatever X number of weight to the new goal of I want to like my body right now as it is without manipulating it first. When you get to that point, you're in pretty good shape. It's actually mm-hmm. a cake. It's actually like you're you're walking downhill from it. like it's 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 an it's not downhill. That sounds weird, but like it's it's much easier. You start gliding. You actually start getting pulled on into this work, right? Like the work is so much easier when you honestly seek it. I think the biggest reason why women get stuck, and this is usually those women who are you know have that fearful reaction and that really uncomfortable reaction when they look at the pictures of plus size model on Instagram that are bigger than them, those women generally are not actually trying to do the work. They are scared of doing the work. They don't want to do the work. They have an objection to doing the work. And the number one objection, the most likely objection they have is that they're afraid if they like themselves, they either wouldn't lose weight or would potentially gain weight. Mm-hmm. And that's why women, they don't want to do body image work because they think it will make or keep them fat. And therefore, they literally, they don't even want, most women are screaming bullshit 
They don't even want to. They're like, yeah, I want to love my body. But in their minds, deep down, like they are scared of doing body image work because they somehow think that if they liked themselves, then it would make or keep them fat and then everyone else would hate them, basically, or they would lose love from everybody else. So this is, which is not true, right? I mean, there's no correlation. Just so you know, guys, like PSA, like there is literally no correlation between self-love and weight gain. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that one always gets me too, because I'm just, you know, like... Uh, the if you, you this idea that like if you love yourself you're just gonna like go and eat yourself into an oblivion just it, right. it just you know it's totally counter it's like and and right. and and what have you been doing and how has that been working for you up until right. now if self you know? if self hate made us thin we'd all be fucking swizzle sticks you know what I mean like that is yeah. not working for you you know so like if self so on the flip side self love does not necessarily make a person but there's just no correlation. A person can hate themselves and lose weight. A person can hate themselves and gain weight. A person can hate themselves and, uh, excuse me, a person can love themselves and gain weight. A person can love themselves and lose weight. I mean, there's just no correlation at all between like how the way you feel about your body. The only difference is that if you hate your body, you're much more likely to cycle up and down. That's the only real correlation. You're much more likely to be engaging in this diet binge cycling situation mm-hmm. um, totally. from whatever set point you started at, right? And there's a lot of different things that impact weight. It's not just your food behaviors. It's also like your genetic constitution, all these other sorts of things. You can't really tell what's going on with somebody's food or health or anything based on, you know, what their body looks like. Um, But the main thing that I want to get across to people is like, there is no correlation between body love and weight gain or whatever it is, or just weight in general. Um, It's, but what there is, what I can tell you is that you're much less likely to get out of this crazy yo-yo cycling situation. And you're also just, you're much, much more likely to have like sanity and peace of mind around food, period. Yeah, and I'd also like to say that there's no correlation between body love and weight loss either because I feel yes. like with yes. body image and body acceptance kind of taking this stage and becoming more popular, you start to see it as a catalyst for weight loss and you start yes. to see people promoting weight loss intertwined with body yeah. image and it's like, okay, I'm going to do the body image work so I can lose yeah. weight. And it's like, yeah, yeah, now yeah. you're totally fucking yourself over. Like you're yeah. you're not like you're not doing it. Like you're not doing yeah. it. And so you're manipulate you're manipulating your you're still trying to control you're still doing the same shit it's like um yeah I have a blog that I'm going to be sending out in a week and a half but I think probably when this comes out it will already be out but essentially it's the new age thinking will make me thin diet Um, (laughs) oh yes you heard it first summer (laughs) (laughs) oh my Um, god it's so true though it is so true yeah, and it's bullshit. I mean, it's just bullshit. Um, but yeah, but this is a very popular, um, you know, thing to sell women because essentially people are like, I'll sell you sanity, but don't worry, you'll still get to be thin. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I'll sell you the dream that, like, you know, we're, you know, like that all these emotional eating coaches are selling, but like, don't worry, you'll still be thin. Right. It's like, have your, it's literally have your cake and eat it too, you know? Um, so, and like, you know, some people lose weight when they do this work. Some people gain weight. I mean, you know how it goes. I mean, you're the queen of the, you do the work just like I do. Some people gain weight. Some people lose weight. Some people stay the same. Most people stay the same. Most people statistically kind of stay the same within like a certain range, maybe like a 10, 15, maybe 20 pound or whatever it is. Right. I agree. But, you know, like, it's kind of unknowable what the fuck's going to happen. It depends on a million factors that are, again, not necessarily in our control. Control is like this big thing that keeps coming up over and over and over and over again in different iterations. I think the word control is really like the basis of most of like 80% of the discussions that I have with my clients. Um, Because one of the issues with diet culture is that it perpetuates this idea that our weight is fully in our control at all times. And it's just a matter of calories in and out. Like we are in full control of how our bodies look. And that's what the diet industry has been selling us since day one. And the reality of the situation is that's just not true. If it were, we'd have like a population of thin people. Yeah. And it's so funny because like intellectually, I know so many, especially when like I start working with a woman, like they're like intellectually, they know that like, they're like, all right, I've, right. you know, they, because they've been dieting for like 20, 30, 40 years sometimes. Right. And so intellectually they're like, they know it doesn't work, but the devil, you know, is still more familiar like some a lot of the times you know before a client starts working with me they're like I was about to go and do Weight Watchers again or I was about to and then finally I just decided I can't and so 
I, right. It's funny how, like, it's the definition of insanity. It's like you keep doing it over and over and over and over, and you right. trust that there's this system that is supposed right. to work, right. even though right. it doesn't. And that's really what diet culture is. Diet culture is the mass cultural belief that we are fully in our, our weight and our body size is fully in our control, and there is a specific body type that we should be fashioning within our control right and, yeah and then it makes us more virtuous if <laughs> once we achieve right, it right I always say it's like uh, there's two myths that the diet culture is based on one I am fully in control of my weight and b controlling my weight will help me control other people <laughs> neither yeah. of those things are true neither of those things are true one you can't control other people with your weight right like no matter how much weight you lose somebody's still not going to love you but b even if that were true, even if you could fully control other people with your weight, because to some extent, right, like weight discrimination is real and like all of these things are real social issues and like, you know, that's a complicated question. On the other hand, you can't necessarily control your weight. So it's a fucking moot point from begin with, you know, to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, like, it's just in the long run, right? Like most people can like temporarily lose weight, but then, you know, generally speaking through force and manipulation, generally speaking, like those attempts um, do not last, right? I mean, like 95% of the time or whatever it is. We've all heard the statistics. Even doctors know these statistics, right? 95% <laughs> diets don't work, but yet they still prescribe diets. It's totally fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because they, like, don't know what else to do. And, like, and very few people, with a handful of exceptions, like Linda Bacon and some other health researchers, are like, what if we just stopped trying to make people thin and just actually gave them, like, you know, some, like, relevant health advice, like start eating more vegetables and, like, moving your body regardless of whether or not you lose weight. Um, yeah. Shocker. Yeah. Shocker. <laughs> like, did you know that eating vegetables is good for you, even if it doesn't make you thin? Yeah, and exercise yeah. too, you know? Yeah. You go for a walk and it's good for you. <laughs> right, right. I love that. I love that, you know? So people seem to forget that. Um, it's so sad too because I feel like so many people – they go on and off the eating vegetables and working out. They go on and off these what are actually quite helpful habits because they're not making them thin, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so and then like, they, they're what's wrong with me? Why can't – and they blame it on themselves. And it's like it's the fucking system. Like <laughs> They think that eating vegetables and working out doesn't work because it doesn't make you thin when actually it does work to make you healthy. It's just that it might not fit. You know, being getting thin and getting healthy are not the same thing. Yeah. So let's circle back around to the word fat because yes. that was, you know, for me in my own in my own journey, neutralizing that word was a really important step because um, you know, I my brother called me fat like every day growing up. It was in and like it was it just had such a like a huge scar on me. So to neutralize that word and just start using it freely was was huge for me. And I mm -hmm. think the majority of people are afraid to use that word. So they say things like overweight and obese, which right, which are I, actually <laughs> a lot of people would say much more discriminatory. And a lot of fat people like they they do not like the terms overweight and obese because by virtue of like, the term overweight, it's like over what weight? Like does that mean that I, you're calling me abnormal by calling me overweight? Like you know. Um, so that's interesting too. A lot of, like a lot of people in like the body positive community actually find the words overweight and obese much more offensive than the word fat. Yeah. So, yeah. So can you talk about why it's important to, you know, to stop demonizing the word yeah. fat to start using it more freely? Yeah. So, you know, I think it was like Jennifer Lawrence or like some celebrity who's like been quoted a million times saying, you know, fat, I just think it's, you know, it's just, it's just be illegal to call people fat. And like, she was saying it from the standpoint of, we shouldn't be putting each other down and we shouldn't, you know, as women and, and, you know, we shouldn't be criticizing each other's bodies. And, you know, it came from this really well-intentioned place. But what she didn't realize is that when you say we shouldn't be calling people fat, it, by saying that phrase, we shouldn't be calling people fat, it's like, oh my gosh, to be fat must be the worst fucking thing in the world. Mm. It's so bad a thing that we can't even say it in a non-offensive manner, you know? And when we, and, and, and really when you think about it, it's like, okay, well, do I get upset when people call me tall? Do I get upset when people call me blonde? Like, you know, there's all these sort of like dichotomies that we use to just describe the way that people look, right? Like tall, short, blonde, brunette, like whatever it is, right? These are dichotomies that we use for the purpose of just descriptive language, just ink, just plain old regular English. Like, oh, who sold you that thing? Like, where can I find her? Oh, she's the tall blonde woman. You know, they're just, just they, they theoretically 
there are tons of neutral descriptive words and, and fat and thin could theoretically be used like that, but we don't use them like that in our culture because the fatness, right, or thinness is so heavily moralized. Mm -hmm. So the question becomes, is the problem using the word fat and the problem using the word thin, or is the problem the moralization of those words? And what we make those words mean, the stigma that we attach to those words, or, you know, in the case of thin, sort of like the privilege that we attach to that word. Um, and so, you know, a lot of body positive activists, and they call, a lot of them call themselves fat activists, as you know, um, are reclaiming that word, kind of similarly to the way, you know, the word queer has been, um, you know, reclaimed historically by the LGBT community, things like that. They're reclaiming the word, like in a social, in a, in a, in a social justice framework, within a social justice framework and saying, this is not a bad thing. This is just a descriptive term, and I refuse to use it in a way that degrades me mm -hmm. or others or other people or degrades others. I'm going to use it as a neutrally descriptive word so that we can actually change our culture. We can also actually have a different cultural conversation ideally about what fat means, right? You like by, by making fat a bad word, you are just essentially, um, bolstering the idea that fat in and of itself is bad and having fat on your body is bad and it is and means that you are a failure and a sinner so to speak on all accounts mm -hmm. and that is um you know we're, we're trying to change that through language I'm a big stickler for language like if anyone who takes my programs will know like I am on people like glue when it comes to language. Like if I notice that their language is reflecting a belief that they have that needs to change, I will point it out to them and I will say, every time you say this sentence, use this word instead. Because right now, like you are actually reinforcing fucked up beliefs. You are reinforcing fucked up cultural ideals through your own language. Our reality is created through our language. Language is so powerful, mm -hmm. right? Language is how we know that anything is right or wrong, right? It's all through language. Like, without English, right? Like, without language, like, this whole problem wouldn't exist. So we've got to clean up our language, you know? Like, through cleaning up our language, we actually start to change the cultural ideals that we are working with on a regular basis. Yeah, and it's it's not just about changing our language, too, but it's I think it's also about, you know, speaking up when we're amongst other people who don't always understand, right? Like, there's a lot of education that needs to be done, you know, like the body and fat acceptance movement is growing, but I would say the majority of people still don't have any idea about it or fully understand it. And yeah, no. so, you know, when we're in situations, so let's just say, you know, we've got, and I'm not saying like you or I, because I think that that might be a different situation, but... Sure. We just have like a normal woman who's into starting to get into like body acceptance and she's in a situation where maybe she's around all of her friends and they're talking about like, oh, I just ate that brownie. I'm so disgusting. You know, whatever it is that they say, right. you know, like, what's your advice to women on how to best approach that situation to start having conversations with others about it that shifts it in the right direction? You know, I actually, you might be surprised by this, but I... Uh, kind of have mixed feelings on on the talking to other people front. And I think that that's a personal decision, right? And so th this is this is this is actually something that Reagan Chastain, who is probably like my, I mean, she is like my greatest like mentor, so to speak, in the sense like I read her emails religiously every every day, and I think she's like one of the brightest, most certainly one of the most prolific fat activists out there. Um, but, you know, her big, she is an activist, right? That is what she does. All of her emails are about fat activism. Um, and she says, you know, she's very clear in all of her emails, like, you are not obligated to, do, to, to be an activist. No one is obligated. You are not obligated to speak up against something that is wrong. That is your personal choice. Um, and so, or I mean, even the word wrong is like, I don't know, a little bit moralistic, but like, you're not obligated to share a new perspective or to point out oppression when you see it, et cetera, et cetera. You're not obligated. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that people who do that work are incredible, but it is very hard work to do. It is emotionally challenging to do that work depending on the situation. Um, and so, you know, I just encourage my clients to kind of use their judgment. I also usually say to my clients, you know, if you're in an emotionally vulnerable place, getting into a fight with somebody about whether or not being fat is okay is probably not a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I mean? 
Uh, and a lot of my clients, when they're first working with me, like these ideas are so new and radical and they're so like exciting that they like kind of want to tell everyone yeah. and then they end up getting into fights with people and it, and it, and it actually like triggers them. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful basically, um, about how you're choosing to share or educate, so to speak, you know? Um, I generally say like, you know, for the most part, like you're going to be a lot more effective educating people who want to be educated, you know, so not everyone wants to hear what you have to say, actually, you know, in reality, like a lot of people are really set in their ways. They're going to feel very threatened by this information. This information is threatening. It's confronting to a lot of people. Um, you know, you're basically being like, ha ha, by the way, you know, that 30 years of dieting you did, it's fucking useless. Ha 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 ha. You know, like not everyone wants to hear that. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I have, again, I just have mixed feelings. I think that it's like the type of thing that we have to be just mindful and aware. I think that we should feel really secure in our own, like, quote unquote, recoveries or like, quote unquote, like, feelings about our bodies and food to some extent um, before we get into those conversations, which is different. The only exception I will say is getting into an, getting into a, healthful debate, right? Are we, are we approaching this conversation from the spirit of education versus the spirit of making someone else wrong and shaming them? Mm-hmm. That's also very, two very different things. You know, this is a complicated thing that we're talking about. Um, there's a lot of issues that come up in how we have conversations with people about this. There are healthful ways to have conversations about this. There are ways that are really destructive and create a lot of hatred between people, right? A lot of division is created amongst friends, family members, or whatever, by having conversations like this in a non-loving way, you know, so we just, this is a bigger conversation. I usually, you know, work with my clients on sort of like a, you know, one by one basis around this. And also, you know, you have to use your intuition. You have to stay connected to yourself, stay grounded, be aware. Am I in a place where I feel helpful enough to have a conversation about this? Can I do it from a loving place without becoming triggered? Are they in a place where they're willing to receive it? You know, there's just a lot of things to consider. Um, the one exception that I will say um, on this note is if somebody is fat shaming you or themselves or food shaming or whatnot, and you are early on in your process, in your journey, and it is triggering to you, you do not need to get into a debate. You don't need to educate in order to ask them to please stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Um and so those are two different conversations. The, the, what I was kind of previously talking about was about educating or like, you know, kind of spreading the good word, which again is dependent on situation, depending on your comfort level, et cetera, et cetera. But there's this other thing that has nothing to do with kind of like preaching, so to speak, which is just if somebody is triggering you with their language, you can't just simply ask them to stop without having to explain your position. So know that there's a difference between those two things. Cause I think early on in your journey, that's actually very helpful. Yeah, and I think it's really easy to just go into fight or flight mode. I mean, I admittedly pro- exist in that mode a lot when I hear things that you know were were tri- were triggering to me, and right. um, and so I I generally chose flight. Um, it's <laughs> it's only now that I've become a lot more you know comfortable that I'm able to just sort of get curious with the person and then decide whether I want to actually go into it or not. And it really does depend on the situation and what you're comfortable with. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So I threw it out onto my social media that we were having this interview and, um, I just said, does anyone have any questions? And I have a question from somebody that, um, I do want to throw your way. And so it's, what did they say? Let me see her. Everyone's path to eating normal is different, but in your experience and your experience working with women, how long does it take to start eating normally? Um, okay, so first of all, let's define eating normally. <laughs> uh, that was my next question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that was so like, eating... I had that beside it. I was like, what is eating normally? <laughs> so eating normally is kind of like a made up thing um, that mm-hmm. I use freely because women relate to it. I mean, I use that term like mainly for like not marketing in a sales sense, but marketing in a sense of like everyone 
has a vision of that. Like everyone kind of relates to that term and like wants to quote unquote eat normally because they feel so abnormal and crazy all the fucking time. Right. So we kind of, I kind of have a very nebulous, ambiguous. I think most women, when they certainly, when most of my clients come to me, they have a very ambiguous, nebulous idea of what this is, but most women mistakenly think, and I think that this is going to be very helpful to whoever answered that question. Most women mistakenly think that eating normally is about what you eat. Most people mistakenly think that eating normally means like, I don't eat past the point of full or, you know, I eat two cookies, but not the whole box or I eat whatever. Most people, when they have this vision of eating normally, they think it's about what they're eating. But the reality of the situation is that plenty of people, if you look at all the people in the world who have never identified as having like food issues or like weight issues or, you know, just random effing people who just don't let food and weight run their life right, who are just like thinking about other things, just like eating and not worrying about it. When you look at those people, they're eating all different kinds of ways. Human beings eat all sorts of different kinds of ways. Some people eat, um, like don't eat all day and then eat a lot at night or whatever, like eat very little all day and then eat a lot at night. Some people eat, uh, who knows, right? Like some people, you know, don't really have sweet tooth, but then like once a year they like, oh my, like need to eat, you know, like have like a whole pint of ice cream or wh whatever it is, right? I can't even really come up with reasonable no examples. It's just different, yeah. Exactly. There's no examples. It's like the idea that nor normal eating is not actually about eating. It's not, there's no such thing as actual normal physical acts of eating. All physical acts of eating from person to person are different. What really distinguishes when you think about those women though, but we all have this idea. We all have this idea of like that person who doesn't really think about food, who doesn't really worry about food and they just go throughout their day and they just eat seemingly quote unquote normally, however that means to them and they don't really think about it. The key distinguishing factor between them and the diet binge cycler is this, is this idea of they don't really think about it. They're not really worrying about it. It's not really a big deal. They don't give a shit right? Really, normal eating is not defined by what's on your plate or how often you're eating or what you're eating or how much you're eating. Normal eating really is about normal thinking mm -hmm. about food. That's what normal eating is. A normal eater is not defined by what they eat. They're defined by how they think and how they feel about food, mm -hmm. right? And that is when you get that, when you start to get that, and when you start to work, and when you stop working towards making your food on your plate normal, and you start working on making your thoughts in your head, quote unquote, normal, or healthy, or sane, or whatever you want to call them, right? Make them feel good, right? You, that is when your life changes, right? Like that is when, and, and perhaps the food on your plate will change too, perhaps it won't, I don't know, it's kind of like weight, you know, like, it's, we don't know what's going to happen with your food, but I can guarantee you're going to be a hell of a lot happier, right? Yeah. You're going to have to be a hell of a lot more sane, right? Because that's where this work happens. It doesn't happen on your plate. It's, it, it happens in your brain. Your food might not even change, right? So it depends, you know, it depends on the situation. Now I can tell you that I no longer since changing my brain, I will say admittedly, right? I don't have four day long binges where I can't get out of bed. That doesn't happen to me now that I have a different frame of mind. That being said, like, that's not the point, right? Like there is a correlation, I guess, between like changing your thinking patterns around food and like not having the four day long binges, primarily because those four day long binges are, are usually a reaction to deprivation, right? Which is again, something I talk about all the time ad nauseum. Yeah. Right. And so if you're not living in a food scarcity mindset all the time, if your thinking isn't like totally effed up around food, like, oh, my God, I'm going to be starving tomorrow. I might as well eat everything I can right now. Right. That binge eating generally does not happen. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't even a shot in hell getting there until you just like deal. Just worry about your thoughts. That's all that fucking matters. Just worry about your thinking. That is where normal eating happens. There is no actual such definition of normal eating outside of just the way you think and your belief systems about food and your body. And it's a learn. I mean, it's a, it's a learning process. I mean, you mentioned in when you were telling your story in the beginning that when you were talking about you were, you know, surrendering but, and you would forget and you would come back to it. And I think that yeah. that's, I mean, that's it. Like, it's like, yeah, you're going to forget. You're going to come back to it. It's going to be like up and down. And um, right. you, we can't really put a stamp on like, this is how long it takes. But it's like, are you doing this other work involved in it to yeah. get there? You know, which, yeah. which is where, why that body image piece becomes so critical. 
Right. Like I would say like normal eating is like you can be a normal eater right now if your thoughts are clean, like and so to speak clean. I'm using moralistic language around thinking now. So haha. But um, you know, like if you're if you're thinking is like if you're in like having like healthy positive thoughts around food in your body, in that moment you are a normal eater. Period. You yeah. are in that moment you are one, you know? Yeah, and it, and that's actually like so important is that, you know, notice those normal moments and yeah. be like, "All right, fucking A, like I'm on my way," you know, instead of just thinking mm-hmm. about all the abnormal moments that are yeah. surrounding it because right. You know, when we can grasp on to those normal moments and know, like, all right, I'm I'm that I'm one more step closer. That is so important. Totally. Well, it's this idea of like one day I'll be a normal eater. Like I'm a fucked up eater, and then one day I'll be a normal eater. It's like no, like every moment that you're having positive, wonderful, like healthful thoughts about yourself and your food, and like you know, feel sane. Like that is normal eating happening to you in that moment. That doesn't mean you know the next day you might not like fall into a crazy I hate myself spiral, right? Like there's no like day where someone becomes a normal eater. It's just like where are your thoughts at right now? Yeah. Like, are you gonna choose? healthful body positive, or at least choose to attempt healthful body positive thoughts today, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Word. Yeah. 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 All right. We got to wrap it up because I know um, we're running out of time. So talk to me about Stop Fighting Food because that's coming out. Yeah. Um, so Stop Fighting Food is, uh, well, so Stop Fighting Food is, is, has two, is two parts. It's a uh, two-part wild festival shebang in, in <laughs> Belfox and Duke land. Um, so, and this is like my big annual thing that I do every year. This is like, if you want to work with me, like this is the time to do it. Um, so the Stop Fighting Food free video training series is free. This is a video training series that I offer to everyone. I think that you're going to put the link in the show notes, Summer. Yes. Um, and I highly encourage everyone to watch that video series. It's sort of like, you know, an, you know, like a good, um, introduction to like basic core principles, some of which I've talked about here, some of which I haven't. There's actually some really good stuff about if if any of you like deal with emotional eating, binge eating stuff, there's a lot of good stuff in, in that series. Um, that I didn't unfortunately get to share with you today. Um, and um, the masterclass followed by the masterclass. So after the video trading series comes out, that's sort of like a, you know, really fun free event for everyone. I want everyone to get as much of this information as possible, whether they pay for it or not. Um, but ultimately, uh, if you want to go deeper and you want to do sort of my big uh, group coaching program, um, the masterclass is also, you know, is my, is my most intensive program. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's my let's get real and do this thing program. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, awesome. And you're going to be a guest teacher. I'm going to be, that's what I was, that's, I was waiting for my segue. I'm going to be a guest teacher. <laughs> yes, I did a, I did an awesome tutorial on uh, conquering self-doubt and overcoming, overcoming self-doubt because, and really changing the, you know, that negative voice in, in your head that drives so much of, of our actions and the way that we feel about ourselves. So I was super pumped to be a part of it and to be able to offer that to the masterclass. Yes, I'm so excited. So that I'm going to be adding that sort of including. So the, the way the masterclass is broken up for any of you who are interested is that sort of the first half is really about food, emotional eating, binge eating, like kind of everything you could possibly ever want to know about binge eating, emotional eating, diet, binge cycling, restrictive patterns, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, the second half is really about like, let's get your body image under control. Cause what you're going to realize if you haven't already realized is that everything in the first half of the program out food is only half possible without the body image component. I mean, like that, you kind of get to a place where you realize like there's only so much surrendering I can do unless I'm willing to face my fears around my body in the face. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. So then the second half is all about body, you know, is really sort of like a, like a serious crash course in changing your relationship with your body, IFD style. And you are, are going to be included in that portion of the program. Yes, exciting. So yeah. you can find all of this information. I'm going to have it in the show notes at summerinandin.com forward slash stop fighting food. And um, also I'll be blasting that out to my email list, which hopefully you are all on or you should be. <laughs> and um, we don't have time to ask you about the most fearless thing that you've done, but you answered it last time. So I will so go that. listen to the last go one. Go listen to the, the last, last one, one too. Which was episode 10. 
Thank you so much. As always, the time flew by and I have like a million other things that we'll have to talk about next year when we chat again. But thank you so much for all your time and insights and definitely check out isabelfoxandduke.com. Make sure you grab her free ebook, How to Not Eat Cake While Standing Up Really Fast When Nobody's Looking. I hope yeah. I got that order right. Something <laughs> really? like that. Yeah. <laughs> we got it. It's a long one. And stay tuned for Stop Fighting Food, especially the free video training series coming out on September 15th. 15th 15th what? uh yes yeah, september 15th, 15th that's right what what that's probably when this is going live so yes Yay. thank you again my pleasure anytime we always have the best conversations rock on so don't forget to head to summerinandin.com forward slash stop fighting food to get those free videos as well. You need to sign up for those free videos to get an invite to Isabel's stop fighting food masterclass that we were chatting about. So make sure that you go there and do that summerinandin.com forward slash stop fighting food. As always, I would be so grateful if you two took two seconds to leave me a review, go to iTunes, click to rate and then rate the podcast. You can even do it on your phone while you're driving. Just kidding. Uh, and as always, go to summerinandin.com forward slash freebies to get the 10-day body confidence makeover, my ebook, 10 Rules to Break Right Now to Love Your Body and Break Up with Dieting, as well as a, an exclusive invite to my free online community, which is a raging party, by the way. All right, until next time, rock on.